You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Happy New Year, Lexiconosaurs and Word Chefs. <laughs> and welcome to episode 40 of The Melting Podcast. I don't know if that was better or worse than my original that one. That was a lot worse than the original one. Anyway. You could just insert the original one. I'm not inserting anything. Good. Episode 40. Damn. I know, right? And that's not including all our Balticon bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our mid-months that have been just interviews and stuff. And the super secret Patreon backer episode. Yeah, that just came out. So, you know, if you go and subscribe to our Patreon, you get access to it. And it's really awesome, you guys. I mean, I say it a lot in the episode, but if you're not a Patreon backer, you haven't heard me say it. So I will say it again. It's a really awesome episode. Yeah, go check it out. I mean, the money definitely helps, but we'll get to that later. Anyway, I'm AF Grappin, your head chef. I'm Erin Kazmark, your grill mistress. And yeah, episode 40. We kind of killed the joy of it. You cannot kill the joy. Oh, hooray! Happy New Year 2016 is over. Thank God. Has anybody died in 2017 yet? Probably. Well, I mean, But, you know, not anybody we know. Good. I hope. Better not be because I'm posting this at like 2am. I love all of you. Just saying. Yeah. Love. All the love from the podcast. Mm-hmm. Including the dish boy who actually does exist, I promise. No, he doesn't. He's a figment of our imaginations. It says so on our website. Then how did my children come to be? It says so on our website. That does not make it true. We're going to start this new year with some Stoke the Fire stories. Oh, yay. And this is going to be a little special. Like you? I'm special. Anyway. <laughs> well, we've got a new word, Chef. Ooh, I love it when we have new word chefs. And it's well past time that he had a story on our podcast. Yeah? Nick, what? Nick Kelly. <gasps> Nick Kelly? Like our favorite person ever? Yeah, well, he's got one of the stories. We've got another one. But rather than introduce them individually, we do that at the beginning of every story anyway. Mm-hmm. These are based on prompt number 10. An animal from outside your local ecosystem has entered nature and is breeding uncontrollably. Yeah, that's kind of an awesome prompt. Nick, I'm not surprised you chose that one. Me neither, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Enjoy. Bon appetit. The Unexpected Fluffle by Nick Kelly Deputy Sheriff P.J. Evans sat in the boss's chair with hesitation. Sheriff Blevins was out of town, attending the NJPS meeting. Evans rubbed his neck. Was there really so much demand to justify a meeting of top brass in Vegas? He ran a hand over the boss's invite. Apparently, the National Jaywalking Prevention Society took their convention seriously. He pushed his chair away from the sheriff's desk, desperate to find a lead worth chasing. He walked out of the boss's office, turning to the desk clerk. Sergeant M.A. Shepard checked her notes. She rattled off one case after another. Property damage, trespassing, the list went on. It was mostly residential drama. Shepard read the transcript of one call, and Evans knew he needed to investigate. A call had come in near dawn that Farmer Morris was missing. 
The call didn't have much more in the way of explanation, just that the farmer hadn't been seen since last night. Evans cursed and pulled up the details on the Morris family. As expected, the department computers were slow in their response. Evans began to scribble notes as quickly as the thoughts reached his brain. The Morris Ranch had a history of odd events. Some were on official record. Growing up in Piptown, he knew all of the local legends. The Morris farm was somewhere between odd and outright dangerous. He pulled the official deputy hat onto his head, warned Shepard where he was going, and left the station. Evans sighed, putting the cruiser in park and exiting the car. The Morris farm had the easiest access from the town and was, thanks to the urban legends, certainly the biggest draw for tourists. Finding it empty was an absolute wake-up call. He radioed back to Shepard that he was checking out an anomaly and to have the volunteer indoctrinated deputies on call. The gravel of the driveway crunched under his boots. Ghost stories be damned. This was going to be a bullcrap call and he was going to have a cold brew once this shift was over. He wrapped his hand around the grip of his Glock 22. A wave of comfort came over him. The gun gave him confidence. Not simply because he was armed, but because he had field-tested, cleaned, and retested this particular weapon. The Glock was a perfect match for him, much more consistent than the Beretta M9 he'd been issued in his army days. He watched the screen door to the farmhouse slap against the frame, opening and closing with the wind. The door slapped in unsteady percussion. A few makeshift wind chimes joined in. There were no other voices, human or animal. Evans walked up the three creaky steps and reached the open door. As he entered the farmhouse, he pulled the Glock from its holster. Farmer Morris? Mrs. Morris? Anyone? This is Deputy Evans. I'm here in response to a call. If you can hear me, please say something. Please move slowly and identify yourself. Silence. He walked deeper into the farmhouse. No animals or people made any voluntary move to react to him. He did note one thing. The house smelled of excrement. Looking back down the hallway where he had entered, Deputy Evans noted the unusual amount of rabbit pellets. What can I get you, sweetie? Rose asked him. It's after three, so for happy hour, domestics are half price. Evans gave a polite smile back to the bar owner. The phrase, happy hour, was such a bold-faced lie that he fought not to be an asshole. Whatever's on tap, he replied, not certain he would even blow the foam off of whatever Rose poured. The day workers began to flood roses as they did every day around this time. They were always sunburnt, dehydrated, and willing to talk about how hard their job was. He sipped a bit off of his beer, dumped a little more to make it look like he was further along, and then began to work the crowd. A few of the workers were reluctant to speak to him at all because of his badge. The others were tired and had little to offer. Happy hour came and went, and not a single worker had witnessed or had been asked to come work at the Morris farm. Evans looked at all his notes. For all intents and purposes, the Morris farm, tourist trap and all, had been completely abandoned. Shepard's voice on the radio was a slap back to reality. Evans, come in. Evans smiled and tipped his cap to the out-of-towners he had been addressing and walked away, thankful to abandon the crappy beer he couldn't finish. What's up, Shepard? 
The dispatch officer replied, It's old man Reed. He swears he has something to share with you. Evans eyed Roses. The candidates were all sunburnt. Tipsy reruns. I'm on my way. Old man Reed met Deputy Evans at the entrance to his ranch. Evans wasn't sure how to react. He made a mental note to keep Reed and his workers in plain sight during the visit. The workers were few and far between. Deputy, I'm glad you're here. It's a disaster. What seems to be the disturbance? Reed wiped his sweaty brow with the back of a tanned and calloused hand. I swear we must have a fox loose on the farm. I must have lost half of my chickens in the last night or so. Hell, Junior spent half of yesterday setting traps. Evans nodded and adjusted his aviator sunglasses. Foxes weren't the jurisdiction of the police, but Reed was a mess. The deputy nodded. I'm guessing you've had no luck with the traps? No, no foxes anyway, Reed replied. Just a dozen or so rabbits. I have no idea where the hell they came from. The deputy did a double take. Did you say rabbits? Reed nodded. I'll be a son of a bitch, but I've seen more on the farm in the last day or so than I can recall. Evans grabbed a quick dinner at Rose's and returned to the station. Shepard was working the desk. He overheard her talking to someone about what she called an astrological phenomenon. He shook it off and almost walked past her when he heard her mention tonight being the third straight night of a full moon. He stopped involuntarily. It was a coincidence, right? The sun set on Pip Town, and within an hour, the phone at the station was ringing off the hook. The callers were frantic. Screams filled the air. Phones went dead or fell to the ground and provided a soundtrack to the horror. It took nearly a dozen calls for Shepard and Evans to piece together the phrases emergency, town hall, and rabbits everywhere. The pair grabbed as many guns as they could handle and jumped into Evans' crown vic. They reached town hall and were completely speechless. Rabbits hopped and scampered in every direction. Maybe a dozen townspeople ran from building to building. They were actually running away from the rabbits. Scattered throughout the courtyard were clothes, phones, keys, shoes, and all sorts of belongings. Abandoned cars peppered the scene. Oh my god, Katie! Shepard opened the door and left the cruiser. She ran toward one of the few humans in sight. Evans cursed and exited the cruiser. A handful of nearby rabbits seemed to notice right away. He cocked his shotgun and fired, blasting rabbit bits in every direction. He turned to find Shepard. She was standing still, staring at a pile of clothes. Shepard! he shouted. She turned slowly to face him. A white rabbit sat on her shoulder, its teeth embedded in Shepard's neck. Evans took a step closer and froze. Shepard's eyes rolled back into her head. She dropped to her knees. Her body began to convulse, and after several seconds, she seemed to disappear. Her clothes fell into a pile. From the center of the clothes, a brown rabbit hopped forward, staring right at him. Evans cursed. Damn it! He cocked the shotgun and aimed it at his former co-worker. If there's one thing in life I hate, it's wear hairs. He fired, blasting the brown and white rabbits into mist. The deputy surveyed the area and made for higher ground. He counted his bullets. The lycanthrope rabbits were increasing in number. He lifted a hand upward and flipped off the full moon. He raised his shotgun 
and prepared to take on the fluffle. The clock in town hall rang midnight. Lawn Care by A.F. Grappen Jamie opened the front door to leave for work and immediately closed it again. Was that really what she thought it was? No, it couldn't have been. She cracked the door open and edged over to peer through the opening with one eye. It was exactly what she'd thought. She slammed the door closed again, immediately regretting the noise it made. Maybe those creatures, those things, were too busy doing the nasty to have noticed the door opening and closing repeatedly. Jamie pressed her back against the inside of her front door and tried to wrap her mind around what she'd just seen. Dinosaurs. Real. Live. Dinosaurs. No, it couldn't have been. Scooching over to the front window, she pulled back the gauzy curtain and peered out again. Yep. Dinosaurs. Two of them. And they were doing exactly what she hated seeing animals doing out there. But it was one thing when a couple local strays chose her lawn as their mating ground. These were dinosaurs. She tilted her head and involuntarily let out a single mirthless laugh. They weren't as big as all the museums claimed. In fact, they could have been dogs in costumes. The size was about right. But there was no mistaking the thick tails, the horns on the one. How do you know? Dinosaurs not only have feathers, but they mate like mammals. She muttered to herself. Suddenly, she couldn't pull herself from the sight. Then her mind returned, and she remembered she was looking at something wholly inappropriate. If they were real dogs, she'd have taken the hose to them to chase them away. But how could a single woman, all alone, with no animal handling experience, manage to chase away two mating dinosaurs? In the end, she left through the garage and got into her car to go to work. She was only a little late, but she gave no excuse. Who would have believed she'd been frightened of a poodle-sized triceratops mating with a collie-sized... What was the other one? Stegosaurus? Nah, that wasn't right. Or was it? She looked it up on her work computer. Well, the lack of feathers was wrong, but that was the other dinosaur from her yard. A stegosaurus and a triceratops. In her front yard. By the time she got home that night, the dinosaurs were gone. The next morning, Jamie couldn't get into her car because half a dozen puppy-sized dinosaurs were sleeping on the hood. She called in sick to work. That was a mistake, because as the day got warmer, the dinosaurs woke up. The bigger ones came back and got into things again on her front lawn. Worse, there were more fully grown dinosaurs. She had no idea what it was about her lawn that seemed to be the ideal place for activities. But apparently all the dinosaurs thought it was the place to be. She should have shooed away that first pair yesterday. Make this dinosaur makeout point a hostile zone. It was too late now, though. There were dinosaurs everywhere. The third morning, there was no way she was even stepping out of the house. The grass was invisible underneath the mass of dinosaurs packed onto her property. It was like the one public pool on the hottest day of summer. Not even standing room. The creatures could hardly move. Where were they all coming from? 
That night, Jamie heard scratching at her door. In a sleepy daze, she went to let the dog in. Too late did she remember she didn't have a dog. She hated dogs. What was up with that reflex, then? The moment the door was open, a miniature long-necked thing, a brontosaurus, scampered in, the first of a stampede to take up all the space in her house. They flooded into the kitchen, down the hall, into her bathroom, and all too quickly, into her bedroom. She shrieked and darted away from the door as if it were a rush of cockroaches and not prehistoric thunder lizards. None of them paid her any mind. Taking the chance at a lull in the rush of dinosaurs, Jamie slipped out the door, only to find her front yard still covered with the creatures, all with eyes locked on the door, waiting their turn to escape inside to the air conditioning. Jamie sweated immediately in the heat and humidity. But there was no way she was getting back into her house now. What was she supposed to do? Her phone. She had her phone. She could call an exterminator. The man on the other end of the line laughed at her and hung up. She tried the police, animal control, and 911 and got the same response from all of them. She'd just have to take care of all of these wildly multiplying dinosaurs by herself. It was easier said than done. No store made mouse traps big enough for these things. It would take days to get a gun, and who knew how many more there would be in a few days? Besides, she didn't think she could shoot them all anyway. Poison would be expensive and could potentially end up poisoning her. That was out. Besides, if she had any say, she wasn't about to clean up hundreds of dinosaur carcasses. Better to just sell the house. Or better yet. Ma'am, you do realize this could be considered an act of terrorism. Dear God! The technician's eyes widened almost as much as his mouth did. I told you! So can you do it? Jamie asked. I, uh, uh, yes. But shouldn't we save some for science or something? I don't care. Just get them out of my house. The technician, the patch on his coveralls said his name was Eric, wiped his forehead. We discussed that this won't so much get them out of your house as destroy. I know, just do it. Eric waited until they had retreated a tenth of a mile. Then he spoke into his walkie-talkie. Okay, boys, let's impact. Jamie didn't see where it came from, but in a matter of seconds, a flaming boulder crashed through her roof and into her dinosaur-infested home. Dust rose in a small cloud and took an hour to settle. But when it did, Jamie saw that not only was her house gone, but her property was riddled with dead dinosaurs. I wanted to remodel anyway, she said in satisfaction. I don't think your insurance will cover the damages, Eric the technician said. No, Jamie replied, but I have a feeling selling all those dinosaurs will cover the costs. She narrowed her eyes at movement in the distance. She thought it looked familiar, like two dog-sized feathered creatures getting it on. And I'm putting up a tall fence this time. You know, exo-ecosystem creatures can be scary. Because if you think about it, think of all 
the creatures in like Australia that don't live here that would kill us. Let's not live in Australia. That's a great idea. Now, New Zealand, on the other hand. I could I could do New Zealand. I could totally live in New Zealand. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Let's, um, actually, you know what? Let's not move on. Let's just move to New Zealand. And we'll just do that while this promo runs. Okay. I'll pack. Once upon a time, there was a girl who lived in a little village far away. I've got this friend, Joelle, right? Sam, I know how to get there. It just takes the right story, that's all. Once upon a time, I'm looking for my friend. Getting to Elfland isn't the same as getting into Elfland. You must tell me a story. One which I have never heard before. Elfland. Fairy. Avalon, Tirnanog. When you read enough fairy tales, you learn how things work. When you are ready. Six stories told at night. Part audio drama, part storytelling, all Canadian fairy tales. Find out more at ktbrisky.com. That's ktbrysky.com. Aaron. The promo's done, and we haven't even left yet. Well, packing up all of your crap takes a long time. I don't think we're going to make it to New Zealand today. Fuck! <laughs> I can put the explicit tag on, it'll be fine. <laughs> Speaking of fucking... What? <laughs> just go with me on this. Speaking of... No, I don't want to with you. Speaking of fucking, <laughs> let's fuck up somebody else's literature, shall we? We've got a mystery meal for you guys. Here he goes. Yeah. Guess what time it is. It's a mystery. It's a mystery meal. I was close. We've totally never done that joke before. Nah. It's okay. all new to me. Yeah. It's all Greek to me. It's all Latin to me. Okay. That's Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. You just did, I win. No! Anyway. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Well, then tell us how the mystery meal works. You read it. But what happens before I read it? You write it. And what happens before I write it? Someone else wrote it. So how do we screw it up? With help. Yes, with help. So basically, for the first week or so of every month... Our Facebook and Twitter feeds are full of parts of speech requests, which you guys fill. Awesomely, uh, I must add. Yes. And I enter those into our special mystery meal literature. Mealed? Yeah, mystery meal literature. Basically, we take famous works of literature and make them into Mad Libs. You guys help. It's great. We record these and do not edit the audio as much as we can, just because we're idiots, and these kind of become their own blooper reels, too. Which I'm sure is absolutely enjoyable to you guys. I enjoy listening to them anyway. Our screw-ups are um, yeah. interesting. So let's move forward. What's on trees? What? <laughs> let's move forward. The uh, scene for this mystery meal is from Animal Farm by George Orwell. Oh, no. Yes. This is the scene where the pigs unveil the commandments for Animal Farm. 
God, it's been a long time since I read that book. No. Listen, for this is amazing. I have a feeling this one's going to be slightly different. <laughs> the animals had their red M&Ms. <laughs> and then Snowball and Napoleon called them together again. Archipelagos, said Snowball. It is half past the hour, and we have long day before us. Today, we begin the hourglass harvest. So, curvy women? Yeah. Awesome. But there is another matter that must be attended to first. The pigs now revealed that during the past, like, a Kurgelian months, <laughs> they had taught themselves to ogle and recline from an old spelling book which had belonged to Mr. Jones's children and which had been thrown on the rubbish heap. Napoleon sent for pots of fuchsia and goldenrod paint <laughs> and led the way down to the five-barred gate that gave on to the main road. Then Snowball, for it was Snowball who was best at kayaking, <laughs> took a brush between the two tendons of his trotter, painted out Manor Farm from the top bar of the gate, and in its place painted Platypus Farm. <laughs> This was to be the name of the above-ground subterranean lair from now onwards. Well, fancy. <laughs> After this, they went back to the farm buildings, where Snowball and Napoleon sent for Aunt Edna, which they caused to be set against the end wall of the big barn. Big barn. Yeah, very big barn. They explained that by their studies of the past 33 and a half months, the mongooses had... <laughs> so the 33 and a half is like a Kurgelian. Like a Kurgelian. Cool. The mongooses had succeeded in reducing the principles of animalism to 9.25 commandments. Like how the average American has 2.5 children? Yes. These seven puggles would now be inscribed on the wall. <laughs> they would form an unalterable law by which all the animals on Glitter Farm must live forever after. Stop changing the name! <laughs> With some difficulty for it is not easy for a guinea pig to balance himself on a ladder. <laughs> Snowball climbed up and set to work, with Squealer a few rungs below him, harvesting the paint pot. Which, is, then. which is now an hourglass. I'm still trying to figure out how they can have an above-ground subterranean lair. <laughs> <laughs> the commandments were written on the tarred wall in great rotten letters that could be read 734-ish yards away. <laughs> They ran thus, the one-half commandments. <laughs> Number one, whatever goes upon 23 legs is an enemy. So, no centipedes. No centipedes. Number two, whatever goes upon four septums, or has inner thighs, is a friend. I'm awesome, then. <laughs> Number three, no animal shall wear ascots. I'm sorry. Number four, no animal shall blink in a bed. I'll keep my eyes closed, then. Number five, no animal shall drink sulfuric acid. Good. <laughs> Number six, no animal shall fillet any other animal. I agree. <laughs> Not. I like meat. Number seven, all animals are capitalized. <laughs> it was very drunkenly written, and except that friend was written friend, and one of the S's was the wrong way around, the spelling was correct all the way through. Snowball institutionalized it aloud for the benefit of the others. Well. All the animals nodded in complete agreement, and the cleverer ones at once began to learn the commandments by Gluteus Maximus. 
by butt. They learned it by butt. They learned it by butt. Butts on walls. <laughs> Written in fuchsia and goldenrod rotten letters. <laughs> Which had been harvested from the paint pot. No, no, hang on. How many commandments? Was it 9.257 or one half? Four. So they can read, but they can't math. And they have an above-ground subterranean lair. I can't get over that one. That was almost <laughs> as good as butts on trees. <laughs> yeah. You guys rock. I say that every time, but it it's true every time. Yeah, keep your eyes peeled for more requests coming Ow, up Ow, that soon. sounds painful. Keep your gluteus maximus peeled for more Ow, requests. Ow, that's even worse. Watch our Facebook. Don't peel your butt. Watch our Facebook and Twitter feeds. Yeah, that. Like I said when we were recording it, it it's been a long time since I read it. I think I was an early teenager, mm. so it's been... 15 years. I think I read it for the second time in college, but... That's so, also been... Yes, but I also have an audio <laughs> dramatization of it. Which is which is Which is, like, only two hours long, and it's done really well. Hmm. So it, it let me reconnect with that story without having to slog through everything again. Yeah, that's nice. I, I, lo- that. I love stuff like that, because I've got one of something like that for Ender's Game, for Animal Farm. I've got a couple of oh, those. Ender's Game. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Have to do due diligence on that. Just... Uh, one of my favorite stories. Anyway, so New Year, we've got something new for you guys. Me! Yeah. We have a new segment. This segment is What Boils My Pot. It's time for me to vent. To vent about what really bothers all of us in the literary, writing, English-speaking world. Today you're going to rant on the magical Negro slash mystical Asian. Oh my god, don't even get me started. Okay, whenever you're in a story that's set in a certain country that only has a certain race, really, like, say, I don't know, all white, and you need some kind of mystical knowledge passed on to your main character, how many times do we see the magical Negro with the African chants or the mystical Asian with their ancient knowledge it's always used, and it's such a complete and total trope. It's it, it's a scapegoat. It's a way to get out of having to actually think about your story, a way to get your character onto a path without having to delve any further into it, without having to create a real storyline, a real topic, a real catalyst. It's, it's a fallback. It's a cheat. And if it works in the context of your story, like if, if your character lives in a racially diverse area, where it would make sense that it could be anyone of any skin color, any ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Maybe your character is a person of color. Then it's it doesn't fall into such a tropey category, because if a person of color goes to another person of color, it's it's not as much of a trope. Or if a white person in Scotland goes to another white person in Scotland who's trained in witchcraft... Again, not a trope. Because there's, you know, the white version of the trope, the druid. Mm-hmm. Your Welsh white druid with the Stonehenge and the mysticism and the white robes and the long flowing beards. Mm-hmm. It, it, it always seems to be in almost every culture, there's that, that shaman type trope. And there are so many better ways that people could... Could could make their story progress. It's it's um it's a classic Lord of the Rings Gandalf, mm-hmm. where the mystical old guy 
is the one who sets everything into motion, but doesn't really contribute all that much to the meaningful storyline. If your magical Negro has the role of imparting great wisdom, at least give them a recurring role in your story. Grant them more importance than just setting your typical straight white male or female on their path. Mm-hmm. You know, give them give them a personality, give them meaning, give them something beyond just a catalyst. You know, don't fall back on that as your my story begins with an epic quest imparted by a mystical person of color who is solely mystical and interesting to my main character because they're a person of color with random tattoos and a staff and a hood mm-hmm. and a crystal ball or if they're asian you know with the the little thin mustache that hangs down or if it's a little old lady they serve you tea yeah you know get, if you're going to use a character like that make sure number 1 it makes sense in your story and number 2 that they're not just a fallback that they are a person of interest who might possibly have impact on later books. Say it's a trilogy. Um, like uh, the classic Lord of the Rings, Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. He's so important in the first book. He's, you know, the one who um, ties in with Treebeard later on. But you never see him again. Even after the Hobbits go back to the Shire, you never see him again. He's this mystical person who seems to know so much that you would think could have so much of an impact on the story, yet he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And he's not there. And even though I haven't seen the movie yet, please don't shoot me, but Doctor Strange. I've heard about Tilda Swinton's character. How, yeah, there's no way they could have really done it better. But still, it's a random, mystical person in a place where they don't fit who's just shoehorned in. Don't shoehorn your person in. This is what boils my pot. Don't shoehorn a person of color or a person of an ethnicity who is different from the ethnicity of everyone else in your book or from your main character just for the sake of mysticism and a catalyst to your storyline. If they're not essential to the story as a whole, just don't do it. Come on, don't be a tropey. Can I offer? Of course you can offer. One of the most iconic magical Negroes. Yes. The Matrix. The Oracle. Yes. There's your good there's a good prime example. Can I can I offer one of the weirdest ones ever? Before you do, let me counter you with the Matrix. Because she is not only just in the first movie setting him in motion, mm-hmm. she is in all three and at the very end is tied in with mm-hmm. the Typical white male who represents the machine. They work together and in harmony. So there's a counter Mm -hmm. to that. Yes, she's the magical Negro, but she's the magical Negro only because that's the vessel vessel she's in at the time. If it had only been one movie. If it had only been one movie, total trope. Yeah. Of course, I wouldn't really hold the Matrix up as a storytelling she's But she's iconic still. She is very iconic. You're right. Now, weirdest. The weirdest. Dodgeball. Lance Armstrong. (laughs) That is weird, but also tropey. 
the random hero who imparts wisdom at the end that sets your main character back on the right path. Mm-hmm. And and that's another place that you can put the magical Negro. It's not mm-hmm. just a catalyst. catalyst in the beginning. It's also when your hero starts to doubt the one that sets them back on the right path mm-hmm. that they randomly encounter. Yeah. And again, dodgeball is troping. Oh, it's, God, yes. it's It's playing on that trope. So... So there you go. Yeah. And that is what boils my pot. Okay, let's turn the burner down. Oh. Better? Was I boiling? A little. At least I wasn't boiling over. Yeah. It didn't make me really angry. So I hope you enjoyed our new segment. There will be several to come, I'm sure. Ranging from grammatical errors to storyline problems. Send topic suggestions. Absolutely. Tell me what you'd like me to rant on. Um, Just remember, I do have an English degree. So if you have grammatical issues, I would love to play on them. Oxford comma. Also, <clears throat> please tell me you're for the Oxford comma. Oh, so for okay. the Oxford comma. But just know that, you know, you send suggestions and they have grammatical errors. You're going to get... You know, oh, roasted. I will ream you. You'll get roasted first. And then we'll, you know... Boiled. They'll get boiled. In my pot. Right. They'll be what boils my pot. What boils my pot is when someone sends me a grammatical error to rant on, and their post has grammatical errors. Sorry, I had to burp in there. I'm okay with this. Okay. So let's move on. We've had our Stuck the Fire stories. We've had a mystery meal. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I've introduced a new segment. I think it's about time we close this up. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I think I've ranted long enough. It's been it's been a full episode of activity. Well, you know, it is the first of the year, so we've got to start it off with a bang, right? This year is going to be awesome. We, we have decided. Can we start it off with a ding of like the timer being done because I got to go get that cake? Right. Don't let it burn. Okay, I'll be right back. All right. While AF is doing that, do not forget check us out on iTunes. It's not ready yet. I'm talking. I'm going to wait another minute. Okay. You you stay in the kitchen there. Leave us a review on iTunes. You know, five stars. Because we're awesome, right? Leave us a review. It'll increase our visibility and get more traffic to us. Hey, Erin, I did the toothpick test. It's really not ready yet. Is it coming out all coated? Yeah. Yeah, no, you don't want that. Okay. Just wait. Okay. It's okay, honey. Okay. And check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash AFGrappin. We do have our first Patreon-exclusive episode up, so if you sign on for that, you will have access to that, and as we said before, that's pretty darn awesome. Erin, I'm starting to wonder if this oven was even on in the first place. This is this is just batter. Okay, well, take it back out, preheat the oven, 350, and then come back here and you can tell them about the swag shop. You said 350? 350. Fahrenheit? Yes. For how long? Uh, well, let the oven preheat first, and then come back here, sweetie. Okay. Okay, I'm back. All right. I've already talked about iTunes and Patreon, so on to the swag shop. Ooh, ooh, okay. So we have this shop, and there's swag in it that you can buy that's got, like, our faces on it and says, like, Lexicon Connoisseur and stuff. And you can find that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash podcast. And it is awesome, guys. We need to add more stuff to it. We do need to add more stuff to it. Suggest something. Suggest things that you would like with our faces on them. Our faces are pretty darn cute. We should get our faces 
on thongs. Temporary tattoos. That would be amazing. I don't know if that's a possibility, but well, I will look into it. It would have a lot more visibility than thongs. Depends on the person you're putting them on. Don't diss Kirby's. I'm not. Kirby's are awesome. I'm not dissing Kirby's. I'm just saying that depends on, you know, if the people that you're putting the thongs on wear them on their heads or not. Well, we'd have to put the faces on the front then. Yeah. 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 Oh, oven's done. Oh, okay. Go, go put the cake in. Cake, cake's going in. All right. While AF's gone, putting the cake in the oven. Hmm. Cake. Aaron, it's still not done. You just put it in, sweetie. I want cake. I know. Patience. Just like waiting for them to send us stuff. Okay. Speaking of sending us stuff, prompt number 10 is now closed. I know. Sadness. Tears. We're all in mourning, but it's okay, because we have prompt number 11. The empanadas you just took out of the oven exploded, and something alive is emerging. Ooh. All right, cake's in. Cake's in. All right. How long? Um, what pan did you use? The big one. Oh. I think I'm making brownies. I'd say at least half an hour then. Okay. Okay. All right, now that the timer's set, uh, you can tell them about our new prompt. Our new prompt. You mean prompt number 12? Prompt number 12. Prompt. Okay, prompt number 12. A story featuring some kind of mystic cheese. Specific, I know. Yeah, but here's the thing. This is for a contest. We have, in the past, I think it was October of 2015. <laughs> yeah. We had author Chris A. Jackson on for a very special little seasoning. Because Woo! He had a, Chris Jackson! Because he had a book release. And he has become a big fan of the podcast. And, and he's kind of an awesome guy. He's, he's really cool. I cannot wait to meet him in person sometime in the future. Please come to Balticon. That'd be awesome. Or to Nashville. Yeah. You have friends in Nashville. Yeah, just, just come this way, Chris. Get off your boat and come on the land. Or just take us onto the boat. We'd love to visit. Uh, that works, too. Anyway, so... Yeah, Chris is also the author of the Cheese Runners trilogy. Cheese Runners. Yeah, about a future where cheese is a commodity that requires smuggling. It's basically a drug for these aliens. I will agree that cheese is a drug, and I'm not an alien. Anyway, the entire trilogy has just been put out on Audible, and he has given us three. Count them. One, two, three. One, two, three. Yeah, good job. Yay! He's given us three codes for Audible. So that some lucky winner will be able to get all three Cheese Runners books on Audible for free. That is awesome. I know. Plus, fun fact, he has given us exclusive rights to produce a prequel story in the Cheese Runners universe in audio. I'm excited about that. So that story is going to be on our Valentine's Day episode of February mid-month. We're going to have that story. And we're going to give away these three Audible codes. Now, how do you enter to get them? you got to send us a Stoke the Fire story based on our new prompt. Story f featuring some kind of mystic cheese. So, you know how before we had the whole something in the bathroom is your spiritual, spiritual confidant, mentor. Or everything now, in the refrigerator has a different effect on your mental health. Now it's cheese. It's cheese. It's all about the cheese, yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Cheese is great. Cheese is awesome. So, 
Come up with a mystic cheese story, 1,500 words or less. It's only going to be Stoke the Fire stories that are eligible. Whether or not you're accepted for production on the podcast. So that gets you an entry. You might win these codes. I actually did get to listen to all three books over the last few weeks. I have heard the reviews of all three books. Well, we'll be doing a food critic, too. And so they will hear the reviews. So you'll get to hear the reviews. But that's all coming up in February. So get writing on your Mystic Cheese story. Send it to us. And And whether or not it gets produced, you are entered for one of the giveaway codes. All three. They're all, it's all just a grand prize. Well, yeah, Yeah. I know, but you're entered as. Yeah, but, and you're entered to win all three Audible codes. I think we're about done, Erin. That's, that's a lot of information. That's a lot of information and a lot of content to start the year off right. I think so. Happy 2017. Happy 2017. And remember, send us stuff. And we'll use it to... That was um, Feed the Masses, in case you didn't hear. I'm out of booze. (laughs) I'll get you more. I don't think the cake's ready yet. No. No, No, it's not. We should have made fudge. Want to just eat the batter? Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at... TheMeltingPodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you could email us. The Melting Podcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek.